Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5 this morning. We're going to do a little flashback because if you've been coming to our adult Sunday school program, we have been uh, studying through Joshua. And today you are in Joshua 6, the story of uh, the battle of Jericho and uh, the defeat of Jericho by Israel, by God, actually, of course. And uh, so, but today we're going to flash back just a little bit before that to chapter 5 to the events leading up to that battle as we consider God's faithfulness. Well, let's pray. Father, as we open your word. Again, we pray that we would hear your words, our heart would be open. Now, these next few moments, we are continuing to worship God. Uh, this is part of our worship service, so may our hearts be sensitive to your word. In Christ's name, amen. The Battle of Jericho, of course, was a very uh, climactic battle in the Old Testament, one that many of us, if we grew up in church, we know so well the story of, uh, of this battle and how uh, the miracle that God did. On the, eve, on the eve of that battle, and if you've ever been in a situation where uh, it was the evening before some very significant event, maybe you were having to give a speech, uh, maybe you're getting married, you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe you were having an athletic event where it's a championship game, it's a, it's a big deal, and the night before um, you're contemplating and thinking about it a little bit and uh, wondering um, how things are going to go. And as Joshua is leader of God's people, uh, discipled and trained by Moses, but now he's on his own with God. Moses is gone. And uh, you'll notice in verse 10, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The 14th of Nisan uh, usually takes place close to our Easter season, and they are celebrating Passover God has brought them in the land, of course, at this time. And they celebrate the Passover, which is a reminder of the climactic event that led to their freedom from Egypt. The Passover, the, the, this is the salvation story in Israel's history. And they celebrate the Passover together. And the day after, verse 11, the, the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread, roasted grain, the manna stopped. The day after they ate the food from the land, there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of the land. So manna has stopped. They've been eating manna for 40 years. They no longer have manna to eat. They are now on the other side of the Jordan River. There is no going back. The river is closed behind them. Jericho is in front of them. And you have to go through Jericho to go into Canaan. There's no other way. You have to take this walled city of Jericho. And the battle plan has not been given yet. And here they are facing this uh, gigantic task as the children of Israel and Joshua as their leader. And I love, I just really love this story uh, in the Bible. It's always one of my favorite, this short accounts, historical, literal accounts from the Old Testament. Verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up. And he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. In the Hebrew, it literally says that Joshua lifted his eyes. That, that phrase, 
lifted his eyes actually is one you will see throughout the Old Testament. Abraham lifted his eyes. Several times it says that. The patriarchs lifted their eyes. He lifted his eyes. Was he praying? Was he meditating? Was he, was he seeking God earnestly as to what was going to be the plan? What were they going to do? He says in the Hebrew, it says he lifted his eyes and he looked and a man. That's what it says. And a man. A man was there. The emphasis is on this man. This man was there. It was unexpected. He wasn't there a second ago. He lifted his eyes, maybe in prayer, and lifted his eyes up, and behold, there's a man. And this man is standing in front of him. And of course, the unique thing about this man, he has a drawn sword in his hand. It's this picture of a man with a sword in his hand, a military commander. The, the sword is drawn There's a a similar picture that David has when there's the man with the sword, the angel about to destroy Jerusalem when uh, David sinned by numbering the people. He looks and he sees this vision of this man. And this is not a dream. This is not a dream. You've got to differentiate between dreams, visions, and reality. You could say this is a vision, but it's it's, it's a real sight. It's not just a dream. You, know, you have dreams. I have dreams. I had a dream last night. Maybe it was because of the car show we went to, but I dreamt just before I woke up this morning, I was teaching one of my grandsons to drive. I don't know why I would be doing that. I already paid my dues. I taught my kids to drive. <laughs> and he went right through the intersection, and we just about got hit. And I yelled at him, you know, in, in, in an alarming way, and he just, I'm not going to drive anymore. And I had to grab the wheel, and, you know, it was just, it was, yeah, I, was, I was glad to wake up. <laughs> That's a dream. These are, these are, this is reality. There are times in the Bible, like with Joseph, where the dream is reality too. This is a, this is reality. This is a vision, but it's a real vision. He sees this man with a drawn sword. And notice what he says. What, what did Joshua says to him? This is really interesting to me. I, I don't know why. This just strikes me. Joshua goes to him. It says Joshua went to him. In the Hebrew, again, it clearly says he went up to this. He sees this man with a sword drawn. I mean, this has got to be a frightening thing. And Joshua walks up to him to speak to him. And he goes up to him and he asks him this question. Are you for us or for our enemies? Whose side are you on in this battle? Are you for us or are you on the side of the Canaanites? Are you on the side of the people of Jericho? It's an interesting question. If this vision, this obviously this angelic type being, this, 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 this unusual sight, if he's for the people of Jericho, then they are in trouble. If he's for them, it's good news. Are you for us or are you for them? But look at the answer that the, this person, this man, is described as a man. Okay, Look what he says. Neither. Again, the Hebrew just says, no. No. Now, you might think, well, he's saying, no, I'm not for them. But the original language really lends itself to understand that he just says no. And neither is probably a better translation. You know, that's the wrong question. Neither. I'm not on your side, and I'm not, I'm not exclusively for you. I'm not exclusively for them. No, you're, you got this wrong. You got this wrong. 
But instead, he says this. But as commander of the army of the Lord, he's the, he's the Yassar, the commander, the leader of the Saviath, the, the, the host of God, as commander of the host of Yahweh, Israel's God, as commander of Israel's God, of the angelic armies, of all the hosts of heaven, of all the hosts of heaven, as commander of the hosts of heaven, I have now come. Which kind of takes me back to, why did he say no? Isn't, isn't Yahweh, Jehovah, isn't, isn't he Israel's God? Why did he say no? Why did he say yes, I am on your side? No. And I, and I think the, the, the connotation here, you know, from a human standpoint, God's people in the Old Testament, I think God's people today also could get sort of arrogant and assume that because, you know, God is our God, that anything we do is right and he will bless. We'll find out later on in the Old Testament that the Israelites make this assumption. We'll find the prophets uh, uh, scathing remarks against the people by saying, you think, you think you can practice worship to this God, this God, this God, and also worship your God, and that's okay? Take your offerings away. They stink. Don't bring them to me. No, it's not, it's not that anything you do is always right because he is your God. I think you and I, I know I could fall in that same arrogance. Well, God certainly would never discipline me. God certainly would never not bless something I do because I belong to him. Yes, I belong to him. Yes, we believe in eternal security. We teach that in our church. But I think we ought to be careful of an arrogance. And I think the answer is, I, I'm, I'm here primarily as the whatever, whatever we decide in heaven that's what I am here for. And we are going to find out as the story unfolds. Indeed, he is there to help Israel. Indeed, God does lead them. Indeed, God does destroy the people of Jericho and the city. But lest they become arrogant, because we're going to see this next week. Next week, we're going to see this arrogance unfold, where there's an arrogance that anything we do is right, and they pay a dear price for it. We'll see this next Sunday. Pastor Gary is going to be preaching next Sunday. We'll be covering this in Sunday school as well. No. Are you for us or them? Neither. But I am here as the captain of the hosts of Yahweh, the hosts of the Lord. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. And he says, what message does my Lord have for his servant? I tell you, as we study Joshua, and I've enjoyed you know this, this short study we're doing in Joshua. Joshua is a, a, a really a, a fine example. He's a fine man. He's a man of genuine, humble, godly leadership. When he hears that response, his response, he doesn't know who, fully who this is necessarily yet, but it's beginning to take shape. He falls down on his face. It literally, it says he fell right down on his face. He put his face on the ground in reverence and in humbleness. He is the new leader of Israel. He is the new Moses. But like Moses, he has that humbleness and that reverence, and he falls down, and he says, what, what is the message? What do, you, what do you bring for me? What message do you bring, my Lord? And I want you to notice this message. Look at the message. And this really ends this story. This, this message really ends this story. 
the commander of the Lord's army, the Tsar, the Saviyos Yahweh, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua took off his sandals. Now, if you've read any of the story before of Exodus and the life of Moses, can there be any doubt who this is? What does this sound like? Have you heard this before? Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. Moses, 80-year-old man, out in the Sinai, has left Egypt, has no intention of going back. He sees a burning bush. And he says, I must go and see what this is. This bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. And a voice comes from that bush and calls him and says, take off your sandals. You are standing on holy ground. And Moses begins to talk with God. I don't think there could be any doubt. This couldn't possibly be lost on Joshua. That all of a sudden, he is in the presence of God. He is in the presence of God. This man with the drawn sword, all of a sudden, does he represent God or is he God? Well, we see this in the Old Testament. We see this with Abraham where these, these, these angels come to visit him. And they leave and one of them stays and starts talking to him. And all of a sudden it's God talking. We call this a theophany. A theophany. It's a theological term. But it simply means when God appears... In a, in a human form, in some type of form. When Jesus Christ came to earth, that was not a theophany. That was the incarnation. He actually became flesh. He didn't just appear to be man. He was a human. But we have in the Old Testament some cases where God appears in, in, in sort of a veiled way, but we realize it's God. And the fact that, that Joshua takes off, is told to take off his shoes, you are standing on holy ground, you are standing where Moses stood, I'm sure he understood. He was in the presence of God. He was in the presence of God. Take off your shoes. You are standing on holy ground, and Joshua did so. And the story ends. Well, not really. Because you see, and this is a particular case where the chapter break is maybe not as helpful as it could be. The chapters and verses are not in the original text. They were added for our benefit. And it's a good thing because we'd be forever if I said, just keep on turning until you get to this part of the Bible. You know, it's a good thing. But sometimes you just need to remember that if you were reading this in the original when Moses wrote this or when Joshua wrote this down, that there's no break here. Joshua took off his shoes. He did so. And it goes right into the next line. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. That's, that's not a throwaway line. It's not just a transition to the next chapter. This is part of this story, I think. Because as he takes off his shoes and he's, and he's bowing before God and he realizes who it is, the scenario is he is against Jericho. It is tightly shut up. It is sealed up. They, are, they have sealed themselves in. And they are ready for a long siege. They are going to try to win this battle against the Israelites. And Joshua has not been given any instructions yet as to how he's to proceed. And then it's in this context that you see the voice of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Joshua, 
See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. So to me, as I read this clearly, I believe this, this angel, this, this man, is a theophany. It's, it's, it's God. And the sword is drawn. He takes off his shoes. He's standing on holy ground in front of God. No one will see God and live. The Bible clearly says that. Nobody will see God and live, but they, he lives. He sees the Lord. Not in his glory, but he sees the Lord. And then he is told, I have given you, this. it's already done. The city is yours. I want to reflect just for a couple of minutes here. Isn't it interesting to me, at least it is to me, that the transition here from, from this, this angel appearing and now giving Joshua specific instructions as to how they are about, how they are go, to go about this battle, which we looked at in class this morning, six times around, six different days, seventh day, seven times around, blow the trumpets, raise a shout, and the walls fell and all were destroyed except for Rahab and her family. Before those instructions are given, isn't it interesting that Joshua is called into the presence of God to worship? God could have just given Joshua this battle plan in any way he wanted. But God appeared, he chose to appear to Joshua. And basically, at the end of chapter 5, what we are told is, Joshua, take off your shoes and worship, because you are on holy ground. And Joshua did that to prepare for this battle. Whose battle was this? Whose battle was the battle of Jericho? Who fought this battle? What did Israel do? As the story unfolds, Israel just obeyed God and marched and shouted and blew the horns and the battle was won and they went inside and took the city. But before this could take place, they were called to worship. Stop. Joshua, worship the Lord. Take off your shoes. You're in the presence of God himself. And then secondly, he says, Joshua, look, you look at Jericho. We were just told that it's tightly shut up. No one's going in. No one's going out. Nothing is happening. They are ready for the fight. And the Lord says, Joshua, look, look at that city. Look at that city. And I want you to see something. I have already delivered it into your hands along with its king and fighting men. And it's in the past tense here. I've already done this. The city's there. They're still here. They haven't marched. They haven't done anything. And God says, I've already done it. The city's in your hands. The king and all of his soldiers. Joshua recognized the battle. Come into his presence. Understand who I am. And understand that this is my battle. I'm simply using you. That's why he said, no, I'm, I'm not yours. I'm not theirs. I am God. You come and worship. And look and see. I've already won this battle. You just need to follow my instructions. And as odd as they may sound, this is not said, but I can imagine when it came to Joshua, as odd as it sounds, here's the battle plan. You do this. Because this battle has already been won. 
You know, it's interesting. We go to Hebrews chapter 11. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11 for a moment, we have this account in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, oftentimes I, I say to you, you know, whoever wrote Hebrews chapter 11, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, well, I've been here 21 years. I've been here actually 31 years, and I've been pastor now for going on 22 years. So I think it's okay if I declare myself. I think Paul wrote Hebrews. <laughs> it's okay if I declare myself. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to fire me over that? I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, we have an annual meeting tonight coming. You know. <laughs> I think Paul wrote Hebrews, but I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. I think it was his opportunity to write to his own people. And there's a reason why he didn't put his name on it. But a whole different story. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, okay, whoever Chris thinks wrote the book of Hebrews, <laughs> You know, it's interesting. In chapter 11, we have this account of the heroes of the faith. We have all these people named. And you'll notice they're named. In verse, you know, we have Abraham. Verse 20, we have Isaac. Verse 21, we have Jacob. Verse 22, we have Joseph. Verse 23, we have Moses. Verse 30, my Bible says Joshua and Israel, but Joshua's not mentioned. But the story is mentioned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell and the people after the people had marched around them for seven days, by faith the prostitute Rahab, yes, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who are disobedient. And he's, he's run out of time. He's either running out of paper or running out of time. It's just like, what more shall I say? I didn't have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jemtha, David. David, I haven't got time to talk about David. Samuel, the prophets, and he goes on and lumps them all together. The last one that he talks about is the story of Joshua. Joshua is part of this company of heroes of the Old Testament faith. Heroes of the Old Testament faith, the Jewish people, their story, their story of salvation, and the story of the walls of Jericho, the story of Joshua, like Moses, who came into God's presence, who saw that man with his, with his sword drawn and fell down and worshipped, and then was told, the, the battle is yours. And the battle unfolded. Indeed, the battle was theirs. God did a miracle. He destroyed that city and opened the gates to the promised land. And from here on out, we're going to follow Joshua as the land is conquered and they are settled in their land and they received their promised land. We talked last week about going home and they are home in their promised land. But after he goes through all these heroes of faith, we come to chapter 12. And we come to chapter 12, and again, he's, he's basically at the end, he says, I haven't got time to talk about all these people and all the things that they went through. And we come to chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible tells us, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord Jesus Christ, one day with the Pharisees and scribes, said to them, you search the scriptures, you search them diligently, you scrutinize those scriptures, because you think you're going to find eternal life in them. But I want you to know 
those scriptures talk about me. If you think you're going to find eternal life, it's in my story. It's in me. That's what you're going to find. That's what the Old Testament talks about. And friends, I want to suggest to you, we find in the Old Testament, we find this particular angel appearing every so often, Hamalach Adonai, Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. We find the angel of the Lord. And we find this angel talking, and all of a sudden God is talking. And I want to suggest to you that I think that was the angel of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host that stood in front of Joshua. Personally, I think that angel of the Lord is what we call the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But please, when we say that, don't think of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are all equally God. The Bible tells us, and Paul tells us, that through Christ all things were created. He was the agent of creation. When the Genesis says God created the heavens and the earth, Paul tells us it was created through Jesus Christ. He is not slightly less than God. He is not the first created being. He is not the highest angel. He is God himself. And the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher. This word author is, is, is the word archagon. It's, it's the word that has to do with, it's, it's not just, a, you might think of someone who writes a book. In that sense, it is. But it conveys the idea of the leader and, and, and the one who establishes the first cause. Earlier in Acts, it says, the Peter says, you killed the, the author of life. You killed Jesus Christ, the author of life. It's the same word that's used here. He is the first cause. He is the one who, who leads us, but he's also one who, who, was, who set up the first cause of salvation. And the word for, for finisher, teleotain, it's, it's really the only place we find this, not only in the New Testament, but the Septuagint or Greek literature, this particular word, this particular form of the word related to teleos, end, and it has the idea, I think, I think the better translation is it says perfecter, the finisher. He is the one, Jesus Christ, I think, who Joshua saw on that day before Jericho. And he fell down and he worshipped him. He is the one who has authored, led, and is the first cause of salvation. And he is the finisher and the completer he, of your faith. If you know Christ the Savior and you have the hope of salvation, if you have the hope of forgiveness for sins, you have the hope of eternity today, it is because Jesus Christ is the first cause and the completer of our salvation. And I want to suggest to you today, friends, as we conclude this, this, this look today at Joshua, I just thought of some of the parallels. You know, the Bible says... Paul says in Timothy that all Scripture is for our understanding, but also our benefit, our help, our correction, our reproof and righteousness. And as I thought about this and some of the connections with Joshua, and as the author of Hebrews says, look, we are surrounded by this. Yeah, and it is a book to Hebrew Christians. That's why it's called the Epistle to the Hebrews. That's why it's called that. It was particularly written and important to Hebrew Christians. And as he writes to them, he says, look, we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses who are in the, in the, in the, in the stadium event watching this, this event. And he says, let us, let us run with perseverance. And you know, 
the Israelites had to go fight that battle. It was very unconventional, to say the least, how that battle was fought. But there were going to be conventional battles too. There were going to be battles where head-on against the city, army against army, and, and they would win if they obeyed God. They had to go fight those battles. But the angel of the Lord said to Joshua, Look it, I've already given it to you. It's already done. It's already done. Now you go fight. And this apostle here, I, I believe Paul, but whoever you think wrote Hebrews, he says this. Let us fix our eyes. Friends, Joshua, what, what, is, what, what does my Lord say? Take off your shoes. Worship. Let's start this, let's start this, this conquest of Canaan on the right note. Come and worship. Know who you are standing in front of. It is God himself. And I love what is said here. Let us fix our eyes. Let us fix our eyes. Let us set our eyes on Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for that joy set before him endured the cross, welcomed its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, now run the race. I've already won it, but you run the race. And friends, let me conclude with this. We, we, we understand, we, we have to let go of some things. We, I don't, I, we don't understand everything. I don't understand how the Bible says, for it is God who works in you both to do and to will of his good purpose. God is sovereign. God is working in my life. God is working in your life. It says, Paul says, both to will and to do. Anything in your life, friends, that is accomplished for the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything good that you do. And incidentally, uh, Cameron, if we see you down there shopping at the, uh, the women's thing, I'm not sure if that's shoplifting or following orders. I'm not sure, but we'll, <laughs> I'm going to let someone else decide that. But anything good we do in this life, anything that's accomplished for God, listen, friends. God gave you the will and the doing. So he gets the glory. But we are to run the race. I don't have to untangle that. I don't have to untangle that. I am called to be obedient. I am called to worship. And I am called to do what the scriptures say I should do. The good news is today, friends... We know Jesus Christ, and I know there's a lot of frightening things going on in the world. There may be some frightening things in your life right now that are personal to you. It could be all sorts of different things. I know you might be afraid for your children and your grandchildren. You might wonder about the future. But listen, friends, I have good news once again for you today. I've already given it to you. God, God already knows exactly how it's all going to work out, and he has already won the battle. Now get up, worship, and go, and follow his lead. And I want to tell you today, friends, it's good for us to be here. Thank you for leading us in worship, choosing the songs, playing the instruments, lifting our voices, because we need to do this. We need to once in a while just come together and just take off our shoes and realize we are in the holy presence of God.
if the Holy Spirit dwells in your life because you are a Christian, and he does, you are in the presence of God always. But we sometimes forget that. And it's good for us to come to sing, to read scripture, to be together, to take up our shoes, to fall on our face, if you will, to lift our voices, and remember we are in the presence of God. As we walk through those doors, no matter what age you are, whatever God has set before you this week in your neighborhood, in your work, in your family, Whatever God has set before you to will and to do of his good pleasure, remember, he goes before, but we need to follow and live our lives pleasing to him. That's why we're here today. And I'm going to ask our worship team to come and close our service in this song. And let's lift up our voices, friends. Let's remind ourselves as we sing, we're not singing to each other. We're not singing to them. We are lifting our voices to a holy, holy, loving God who is our God. Let's stand. Let's sing our song. Let's close in prayer. God bless you for coming and sharing this service with us today. Our Heavenly Father, we have just sung that uh, we will follow you. And Lord, I just pray that uh, I think especially today of the parents that are here in this uh, audience today, leading their children, leading their families that uh, they will be the first followers, that their children will recognize in them with our humanity, with our weaknesses, with our faults, they will see that we are followers, followers of Christ. I pray for the leaders of this church, Lord. I pray for us as pastors. I pray for our elders who are called to be the leaders of this church, but we are also called to be the first followers, the chief servants of all. Pray for this congregation, that as those who come into our midst, that they will sense that we are a group of people who first are followers, followers of you. We do so because you are holy. You are worthy of our praise. We do so because you've already won the battle. It's not up to us to win. It's up to us to follow. And Father, we pray that this day, We will leave this place rejoicing in your love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness for sins. And we'll leave this place, Father, and follow you wherever you take us this week. In Christ our Savior's name, all God's people can pray together. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.